I just want everyone to feel like they can do this stuff. I don't want people to think that it's just for like the super analytical nerdy people to be in STEM. Like we need kids today to recognize like, yo, if I'm a creative person, if I'm a great leader, like there's a lane for me in STEM. There are all these cool, unique careers that don't necessarily require purely analytical skills. Welcome into the Free Retiree Show, your go-to podcast to advance in your career, excel in your finances, to avoid the pitfalls that hold you back, and where we learn from people that are doing amazing things. I'm your host, Wealth Manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside my pal, career advisor extraordinaire, interview coach, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? Welcome into a career advancement and money management edition of the Free Retiree Show. We're kind of blending the two topics this time around. For today's episode, we're going to be discussing career advancement in the STEM field. For those of you who are not familiar with the acronym, it stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. Maybe you or a friend or a loved one has had interest in this field and maybe wants to pursue a successful career in this field. In this episode, we're going to be giving you advice on what career opportunities to explore in the field of STEM. And we'll also be giving you advice on what you need to do to have a successful career. In this conversation, we'll also be talking about the future economy. What are the new exciting areas that you need to be aware of, the trends that are going to change the world? And not only is this an exciting topic, understanding the future economy, it's also important to your investments because it can help you in spot the important investment trends and opportunities, uh, find successful companies and sectors that can help you grow your wealth. For today, we have a fabulous guest, Justin Schaefer. He is a rock star in the world of STEM. He's been referred to as the next Bill Nye, the science guy, Serge. Bill Nye, right? I'm sold. That was my shit growing up. Bill, 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 Bill. This is our best guest yet. 100%. Right? Yeah. So like, yeah, I'm so stoked for this one. But, you know, just to give you guys a little bit of rundown on Justin. So he is totally passionate and has dedicated his life to helping young kids all around the globe find their passion and pursue careers in STEM. He grew up in a single parent household in the south side of Chicago. And through his hard work, determination and love for STEM, he was able to change the trajectory of his life. He earned scholarships from NASA, the NOAA, that covered 100% of his tuition and board at Hampton University. He landed a great job right out of school, making double the median income, and eventually went on to pursue a successful TV career in, and where he talks about STEM and gets kids excited about it. And he's having a massive impact on so many people. He hosts a science show with WGBH, Travel Channel. And he does work with Al Roker Entertainment. And he's been featured in Forbes, ABC News, Essence. And he's even had a TED Talk. So Serge, thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I'm super excited. The audience knows by now I've got a nine-year-old kid. He's super into STEM. He's, he loves it all. I try to encourage him. I think growing up, what's funny is we used to make fun of those kids, right? We played <laughs> sports. And it yeah. was like, now I'm thinking, I, I'm praying my kid wants to be an engineer. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, right. I mean, and one thing I've listened to past interviews with Justin and he brings up this point about we put all this focus on Hollywood and ESPN, 
and we kind of glorify those things. But what percentage of adolescents are going to be pro in those areas? I mean, very, very few, far between, but focusing on STEM that can have a positive impact on the next generation. So this is going to be a great one. We're going to go to a quick break, but before we do so, make sure you share us. If you have questions, financial related, career related, legal related, or even a question for Justin, make sure you send to ask at the freeretiree.com. We're going to take a quick break, but when we're back, I'm sitting down with Justin Schaefer. Retiree show. We're sitting down with Justin Schaefer. Justin, how are you doing? What's going on, Lee? And thank you all so much. I'm really excited to drop some gems and help our audience out as they're navigating their own careers. Man, we are stoked to have you on, man. I, I just got to ask you right off the bat people are calling you the next Bill Nye, the science <laughs> guy. I mean, dude, that's huge. That's like the MJ of the science world. So like, what does it feel like? Man, I think it's an honor. I think it's an honor to even be in the same comparison. I mean, Sergio, you were talking about this a little earlier. Like he's kind of a hero to a lot of us, especially in our childhood. One of the things I think Bill Nye didn't have though, and he's this relatable person. He makes science fun. He makes it accessible. But what he didn't really have is this attainability factor, right? Like this aspirational quality. A lot of kids saw Bill Nye and were like, oh, he makes science cool, but they're not saying, I want to be Bill Nye. And so I think the next generation of Bill Nye, if it's me, if it's somebody else, if it's a bunch of different people, need to create the perception of STEM that is cool, it's fun, it's dope, and it's something that you should be a part of. 100%. I think thinking back to Bill Nye, yeah, he was funny, but it wasn't like really resonating with me because that the stuff he was talking about was really cool. So if you can be that guy, I think that's a game changer. That's that's what kids need. I think so. I think they need, we're talking about this a little earlier, like this glamorization idea, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to reinvent the wheel here. If a guy pulls up in a nice car, like, a, let's say a fully decked out electric car, he's swagged out, and well, maybe all the ladies are going crazy over him, and he just so <laughs> happens to be a software engineer at a top tech company. <laughs> and that creates a completely different perception of what this stuff is. Absolutely. I mean, I just got to, we just got to call it. Sorry, Harry. I mean, Bill Nye, I mean, he was fun to listen to, but you didn't want to be Bill Nye because he looked like he might have got stuffed in his locker every now and then when he was in school. I'm just, I'm looking at you, man. Like, you, you seem like you're in great shape. I've heard some posts that you can dunk a basketball. Can you dunk like I've been today? working out, man. Can you dunk like. Oh, yeah. Now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I dunked like, like last week. Last time I hooped, I played ball two times a week. I work out six days a week. Yeah. To me, again, I think it's about looking apart. I have this crazy idea, y'all. It's like, I want to be almost like a science sex symbol, like a James Bond of science. <laughs> I love you know it. what I mean? It's kind of like, like James Bond's got the swag. He's got the finesse. He's got the cool. And you, you young kid growing up, you see James Bond, you kind of want to be James. So I want to create that kind of perception. When we think about nerdy, right? We think about like nerdy guys. A lot of times we think of guys on one end of a spectrum of sexual attractiveness. Right. Mm -hmm. And no shade on Bill Nye. I met Bill Nye. He's a nice guy. He's such a cool guy. But 
some people might put him on that <laughs> end of the spectrum. <laughs> and then there's like, he's a super sexy guy. A lot of times you don't think he's that intelligent, right? And he's on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, I want to challenge that entire notion and say like, look, right. it can be cool and, and swaggy to actually be this person that occupies both of those categories. I think Bill Nye is a really cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, obviously he, he, we're, we're right on with this whole, like he might've got stuff in his locker a few times and no one wants to be that, <laughs> but STEM can be sexy and we need to put that light. Like, Hey, learning this stuff is cool. Like this is cool. Like you can be into science, math, technology, and it can still be cool. And I think that's what you're going for. And you're doing a fantastic job of it, man. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate it. I know you mentioned you grew up on the South side of Chicago and I'm thinking like from a, like just like a stereotypical, I think this stuff can also help with that because for like people in those communities, th the stereotype isn't Mr. Science guy, right? It's Mr. I'm going to dunk a basketball on you. So that's, I think that's the other thing. I don't know if you've thought about that, but especially if people like in underrepresented groups, seeing you do what you do, a kid, that's a hundred percent, like just as important as everything else. Yeah, man, it's actually, it really goes back. So a lot of my early work started off, uh, so I moved to New York City to first start off my work. And a lot of it started off in the Bronx and some communities like the one I grew up in on the South Side. And what I had learned in science and, and tech is that you almost learn this terrible thing that I think now Gen Z is completely disrupting, where it's like, we learn that we have to almost strip ourselves of our individual cultures and identities in order to be perceived as competent in a lot of these workplaces, whether they be in tech, where they be in science, uh, where they be in finance, right? Mm -hmm. But what I've now unlearned and what I've, what I've started to relearn is that the closer I am to my authentic self, being that dude from the South Side of Chicago, the more that my personality resonates with the people that I really want to reach. And so that's definitely been like a, a almost like a, a journey backwards that's simultaneously a journey forwards for me. Absolutely. I can, that totally resonates with me because, yeah, I think when you're starting off, if you're coming out of school, you're so lost in what does everyone else do? What does the industry want us to be? And you kind of like fall into that and you're like, I got to be like that. That's not me at all, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to be like that. And that authenticity gets lost. And you know what people don't realize is everyone can see it. I mean, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people can see it. Like when you're not bringing your authentic self to work. And so, yeah, that's awesome that you've done that. Serge, you've been, you're, you've always said that, man. It's important for people to be authentic. Yeah. You, I mean, especially in the interview process. And then even when you're in these companies, like you have to be, but honestly, Justin, like I've been in Silicon Valley for a while and I don't want to derail this conversation, but like a lot of people aren't. And there's a flip side to it, especially like when you look, it's it just, uh, I don't even know if I want to go down there, but when you look a certain way, a lot of people run into issues when they are their authentic self, but I do agree. You'll feel better. At, you'll feel better about yourself at the end of the day if you're true to yourself. So 100% do that. Yeah. And I, and I think, Sergio, you're 100% right. And it's definitely been like an area of discomfort. It's even like moving that direction for so long. But I found that the more secure I get in my own position career wise, the more opportunities I do have to now say, this is actually who I am and I not care as much. Like, I'll give you a great example. So Dr. Kizmiecki Corbett, she's one of the keynote speakers at the summit that I, ho that I host every year. Uh, it's called the STEM Success Summit. And she's actually one of the black women that developed the Moderna vaccine uh, in collaboration oh, wow. with the National Institutes wow. of Health. Wow. So obviously, track record speaks for itself at this point. 
she shows up to our pre-conference call with a bonnet on. And I know she'd be okay with me telling the story because she was so proud about it. She's like, yeah, I've been busy. Sorry, I couldn't get my hair together. That's something that like, if you came in the workplace like that, people would, anyone would tell you that's the wrong thing to do. But because she's so secure in herself and her career, she's now had this opportunity to step out. And that I think empowers a new generation of young scientists looking up to her. And I was like, you should do the keynote in a bonnet too. She's like, I just might. Because uh, I think that would, you know, empower a new generation of people to think about that differently. Yeah, so we we can pivot a little bit. So before we started recording, you were starting to tell a story about your first investment out of college. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was 21 years old, if I remember correctly, and I was working in tech. And so we had this orientation and they brought a bunch of like senior leaders and purportedly smart people that knew more than us about technology in the room. And they said, ask them all the questions. You're going to get all your answers. Like kind of presented them as like they were the Oracle. And so I remember asking, and this was 2000, I want to say 2015. I said, excuse me, do you all know anything about cryptocurrency and its applications and maybe the disruption of you know, traditional currencies? And in 2015, this was when uh, Bitcoin was around three to $400, if I remember correctly. And so those guys were like, I don't know anything about that. I don't think you know what you're talking about, man. Like, you need to focus on what's important here. This is what you have to do. These are your work responsibilities. And so I was like, wait a minute. I think y'all are wrong. I'm willing to bet on that. So my first signing bonus, I literally cashed that in the bank. Uh, and then I went straight to, at the time, a Bitcoin ATM because you, you couldn't get the- like. Where did you find those? <laughs> you had to like Google search. I mean, it wasn't like super hard, but you had to Google search- buy Bitcoin near me. And then you'd find yeah. the closest ATM. And this one was wow. in some laundromat. <laughs> so oh, wow. I had to go into some laundromat and then get the card and get. So I yeah, ended up, I think it was probably around like $500 was my first investment into Bitcoin years ago. And so that was, yeah, that was pretty fruitful. Unfortunately though, this is the part I didn't tell you all. So I actually, the, at the time, because of the way wallets were set up, you had like your code that you could back up your wallet is like um, an owner receipt, like an actual code. Mm-hmm. And I put that in my wallet and then I washed oh, my wallet God. one day. I don't, I don't like where this is going. Ah, and so I'm like, okay, there's no going. problem. No problem. I have it on my phone. There's no way I'll be good. And so I'm like a techie guy, as you all, you all find out. I'm a tinkerer. I like to mess around with different technology. Ended up formatting my phone like a week later. And so I completely lost the first investment of Bitcoin somewhere floating down. It's somewhere floating around, but I completely <laughs> lost my first Bitcoin investment. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Sorry like, to bring that back up to you, though, those dark <laughs> memories. <laughs> A little PTSD, but it's all good. <laughs> Where's like, that right now? Like 55,000? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for throwing salt <laughs> on it. But I definitely, here's what I say. I definitely bought more. I bought more later than what I had bought then. So all is fair. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Can I ask quickly, Lee? I know I don't spend too much. Like, how did you even hear about Bitcoin back then? Man, Sergio, I think I'm like a general purpose nerd. I'm trying to remember the first time. Like, I just kind of, my ears perk up whenever I hear some information I don't know about, especially if it sounds deeply technological. And so I think I was actually visiting Silicon Valley. I was actually visiting and I was driving around, I think on the radio, somebody made a joke about, oh, we're going to accept payments in Bitcoin. <laughs> Just kidding. It was some kind of, and I was like, what is Bitcoin? I mean, that must've been like 2014 or so. 
And then I just started reading a bunch. I was reading about tech startups and things like that. And then finally, I, I came across some information about Bitcoin and obviously the blockchain and cryptocurrency and all those kind of things. I was like, man, this stuff seems promising. And so, yeah, it, it's just one of those it's one of those tendencies I have. And that's why, I, honestly, I didn't trip about the whole losing the Bitcoin wallet and all my, my, my stash there. Because yeah. every time it's something innovative that's on the horizon, I've pretty much heard about it before other people, just because my ears always perk up and I always go down those rabbit holes. So, Justin, since we're on the topic of investing, the new economy, um, can you give us a couple other themes that you're looking at? I mean, since we're on the topic of crypto, like, can you explain to maybe the people that aren't as familiar with it, what role that might play in the future economy and what you're seeing? Yeah. So there's so many multifaceted roles. So before we talk about crypto, I want to talk about the blockchain itself. So cryptocurrency is actually a currency system that's based on the foundational technology that is the blockchain. And the layman's term explanation of this is like, if you think about how you have one computer, all your processing power is in that one computer, right? But it, like the internet is like a network of computers that can process a bunch of different stuff. So you can think of the blockchain as basically this like decentralized network where no one computer has more power than any other computer that can be used to process all kinds of information, right? So not necessary for you to really understand that on a fundamental level, but in high level, that's what it is, right? And so that technology allows for so many other things to be decentralized, like finance. So when we think about Bitcoin, it's literally this opportunity where there's no government entity that has any control over this currency. And basically, it's not driven by a government. They can't print out money or any of these kind of things. And so it kind of started off as this like, anti-establishment movement, but now it seems like it's creating the possibility for these new business entities that can be different uh, from previous ones based on what's called Internet 3.0. And I can kind of break that down too. So when we think about Internet 2.0, we're talking about the traditional platforms of the internet like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Google. Uh, these are platforms where there's one controlling entity and users mostly get access to the services for free in exchange for their data. And the controlling entity monetizes that and continues to grow off of that data that they're selling, right? But in a decentralized network, and NFTs, if you all are familiar with non-fungible tokens, are an example of Internet 3.0, where a bunch of people are actually paying in and also investing their time in to some to, to us platform, and everybody gets a return on their investment, not just one entity like a Facebook or like an Instagram. So it's stuff, it gets really deep, but you know, I definitely want to, we can take some time and break that stuff down a little more, especially for our, our listeners who may, who that, some of that might've went over their heads a little bit. Cause I know it, it, it takes a second to kind of take it in, but once you understand it, it's like, whoa, that, this is going to be That was a good, I mean, I've heard a lot of people try to simplify. I think that was pretty solid. Yeah, no, you did a good job. Yeah. That was a really good job yeah. of kind of dumbing it down. I know there's a lot that goes into that space, but yeah, I think that you set it up perfectly, like understanding how things that are decentralized can be very powerful and it's going to protect a lot of people in the future. We're still trying to figure it out. Some of us are losing our stuff in the, the wash with our codes <laughs> and all that. But yeah, I think down in the future, we're, we're going to hear less of that. And I think it'll probably be, it's going to give us a better world. Yeah. And, and I think, I really think right now, a blockchain technology is, is one of these foundational disruptive technologies that's equivalent to the internet in the 80s. We were talking about this a little earlier, how imagine, well, I'm sure you all can imagine in the 80s, 
someone trying to explain the internet to everybody. Like, okay, it's like this web of stuff online. It sounds like a scam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are like, okay, so is it is a real web? Is it an actual? It's like so many things that just kind of don't make sense because there's so many things that the average person has to understand in order to understand a concept like the internet, right? And so mm-hmm. we're obviously now multiple decades into that. Blockchain is at that early stage. And I think a lot of its derivative technologies like NFTs, right? Smart contracts, decentralized cloud storage, like all these things are coming up. And there's a, a bunch of other stuff outside of the blockchain space that I could talk about as well, Lee. I know you wanted to touch on some other disruptive, uh, revolutionary things that are kind of on the precipice in my mm-hmm. STEM world I'm kind of seeing. So happy yeah. to take a deep dive yeah, on those too. Yeah, no, that I think we covered the the blockchain, uh, cryptocurrency. It, obviously, it's been in the news. But yeah, what are some other themes that being the science tech guy that you are seeing that we need to keep on our radar? Yeah. So, I mean, a cool part of my work is obviously I get to sit with experts in their fields and they, and I literally just get to learn from them all day. And they talk to me about all the awesome things they have going on. So a couple of things that, that come to mind, 3D printing technology is a huge one. Right now, 3D printers are not as mainstream as they could be, but like the idea of manufacturing custom solutions at scale is really difficult without 3D printing. So you can actually 3D print, there are some startups out there where you can 3D print a fully functioning house for $10,000. And this house is much cheaper, obviously, to, so like you you build, you 3D print the separate parts, but it's much cheaper to put together. It's usually more because, and it's more structurally sound than a house that's assembled with all these other different parts that aren't necessarily designed to fit together, right? It's better insulated. So there's all these kind of things that, all these things that are, are interrelated, right? This commercial space flight is another huge technology uh, that's coming out. You all might have seen the recent space flights with Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos. Oh, yeah. That's just send, a- send Bezos and Elon. Don't hey. give him a return flight. Hey, hey, don't talk about my boy Elon. <laughs> Elon, man, Elon's revolutionizing the game, though. I right? Think He's changing between the three everything. of them. Yeah, between the three of them, they're going to make this an affordable technology and use those proceeds to fund trips to the moon and Mars as well. Uh, so that's kind of the new frontier. Then this asteroid mining is another long shot that's possible when you have commercialization of spaceflight because now you have, there are literally asteroids out there in the asteroid belt that may have like diamond in plentiful quantities that we couldn't find on Earth. And so like there are asteroids out there with estimated worths of like quadrillions of dollars. That's a, for, for context, that's 1,000 trillion is a, is a quadrillion. So it, there's all those kind of things going on. That's then why they want to go to space, right? Well, I think that's a part, <laughs> a part of, it. of it. That's definitely a part of it. There's definitely got to be an ROI for all this, right? They wouldn't just be dreaming about this as a new frontier if there wasn't a bottom line attached to it. Even if there's a s- small percent chance of diamonds and all that, like, why not? Right, right. It's worth it. It's worth the risk. There's going to be some rare mineral out there on those asteroids that's not common here on Earth. So we're going to figure out what it is. Other things that are out there right now, gene sequencing and, and regenerative medicine. So right now, we I don't know if you all heard that research that came out like it was about 10 years ago, we fully mapped the human genome. And that was like an exhaustive effort of a lot of processing power and all this. And now we can do that cheaply and quickly to the point where you can get targeted medicine specifically for your DNA and whatever you're genetically predisposed to. We can find out now if let's say you're susceptible to breast cancer because of your DNA, or we can give you targeted medicine solutions for that. Now that's still in its infancy and it's in the early stages. And then regenerative medicine is also using like stem cells to literally regrow instead of getting like surgical implants or like, let's say you lose an eye or you go blind, you can actually regrow the original tissue 
that used to make up your iris. That's, that's, that's now possible. So these things are possible, but again, the affordability is was when they once they become scaled up and, and are, are, are they're possible to manufacture and then they become more affordable. But these are yeah, these are a lot of the things that are on the cusp. How, yeah, how yeah. far away do you cause like 3D printing, I think it's here, right? It's here now, but it's like how do you, how do they scale it? How do they make a consumer facing product? I, we're not that far away, right? For 3D printing. I don't feel like we're that far away. Can we explain 3D printing though? I mean, before yeah, we because sure. I had this I mean, I had this picture of this printer and all of a sudden like a house popped out of it. So great, great. Yeah. Thank you for bringing bring me back there, Lee. So uh, a 3D printer. I mean, I own a couple of these too. Like on a tell him like scale. he's a five year old. Justin. Yeah, so, shut your mouth. <laughs> but continue, solely, Justin. Yeah, dumb it down, please. Solely like no, <laughs> 2D printers print on paper, which is a 2D surface. Well, 3D printers print 3D objects. So mm-hmm. you got you got some plastic, <laughs> like a plastic ball, like simple objects that you can make, and they're used. With, they're printed with what's called spool instead of ink, and so okay. that spool can be basically heated up and then turned into whatever object molded into whatever object you want and you use 3d image files like cad files to Mm -hmm. that you can create in like adobe products to basically print this thing out so i've Um, seen i've seen them they look like waxy or plasticky they come out of the cheap ones yeah Yeah, those are low-end ones those are consumer grade ones you can probably buy them for like under 200 dollars and you can have one in your house i had a couple in, in my spot in new york but the industrial grade ones print with higher quality materials like the metals. Wow. Yeah. And so you can 3D print guns now, which is, a, you know, this whole other thing that people are having. <laughs> that that with. could be a problem. Yeah. That could be an <laughs> Pros and, and then, yeah, sure. 3D printers, right? Like, unless you have software talent like that tells that can recognize when this thing is probably a gun, it's hard <laughs> to limit the production of guns using 3D printers. But yes. So, but Tesla's, though, are actually, I think they just made a huge investment in 3D printing molds. So like, instead of basically most cars are built with like a bunch of different parts built in separate times and places, and then they're fused together really inefficiently. It costs a lot of building materials, but again, Tesla with this huge investment they made in this like massive, like factory size 3d printer, they're able to churn out the molds of a Tesla vehicle and just one chunk without all the parts. It's more aerodynamic and it's lighter weight, but it's stronger and more durable as well. And so th- these are things that are possible because of 3D printing. But I really wow. see this technology as being even more massively disrupted. I actually, when I did a show, I did a show about going to Mars and they talked about how 3D printers would have to be used there and on the moon because we can't, it would be really inefficient to send an entire village to Mars or even the moon. Like instead, why don't you just send a bunch of 3D printers and a bunch of robots that know how to dig so you can use the Martian soil to put it in the 3D printers to 3D print the scaffolding and building materials using what's already there. Oh, wow. That's crazy. (laughs) You talk talk about disruption. I was thinking with the 3D printing, like the whole construction industry could be disrupted. Just thinking about scale and the money that goes into like building homes and all that, that could be a game changer. Absolutely. And I think that's another place where it's, it's starting to take off. But still, a lot of these technologies or even the power players in these spaces don't see the application of these technologies yet. And so a lot of them are still in their infancy because of that. Uh, and again, like some of their barriers are like the cost of production not being affordable enough yet. But as more and more 3D printers are made and this technology is refined, I'd say in less than a decade, they're going to be a lot more ubiquitous 3D printers. All right. So we've talked about blockchain, 3D printers, genome, anything else? 
Man, let's see. What, what else? If I can think back. Let's go for one more. Let's go for one more. One more big one. What is one of those big ones that I, huh? It's got to, it's got to be another. What, what, like, what about AR and VR? Oh, yeah. Okay. The metaverse. Are you all familiar with the metaverse? Sergio, mm-hmm. I see. A little I am not. I mean, only because I, I worked at Facebook for a little bit. Yeah, and that's right. all they talked about. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, yeah, a yeah. Little bit, so a little bit, yeah. Facebook's made a huge investment on this front forefront. So, okay. So here's another way to think about the internet, right? The internet is flat, right? We interact with the internet in 2D interfaces, right? We have our screens on us. We have our smartphones where we're scrolling down, but everything's 2D and everything's disconnected, right? We go to Facebook, which is completely different from Amazon, which is completely different from Kindle, even though it's the same, owned by the same company, it's a completely different application. We have to go to a different place on our phones to get to it, right? But imagine a 3D version of the internet where each one of these technologies is interconnected. Your Zoom call is connected to your World of Warcraft video game, which is connected to your Facebook account. And you in 3D space can go to different rooms that are accessing this technology, that are accessing these different software suites and real virtual and real quote unquote virtual space. So if you've seen the movie Ready Player One by Steven Spielberg, that's a great example of that. The Matrix, it would be like the ultimate disastrous example of that where the yeah. rea- the the 3D internet is so real that you can't tell it's not realistic that you can't tell it's not. And so VR technology and AR like those are they've had some pretty interesting applications in the past few years. Like Pokemon Go was pretty cool, but there's been a lot of barriers to making that mainstream and it's proposed that the metaverse, which is this connective tissue of the 3D internet that's owned by no one, would actually be what makes VR and AR technologies more applicable in the mainstream for the everyday user. So you would need those types of devices to like AR, VR ready devices to access this 3D internet on the metaverse. Like the headset. Lee, you've seen the headsets like Facebook has Oculus Go or whatever. Yeah. 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 You put one of those on and then you're in this 3D world. Is that the idea? Yep, that's exactly the idea. So yeah, like just like in the Matrix, you jack in, right? Uh, it's the same kind of concept or Ready Player One, they actually used VR headsets. So yeah, that's a really cool technology that a lot of companies are now excited about. Mark Zuckerberg recently talked about a huge investment Facebook's planning to make into making the metaverse a reality. I think with our computing power, you know, that's where technology is headed. Quantum computing is another one. I mean, now you guys got me cooking. <laughs> <laughs> that's another one man yeah there's just there's endless stuff i'm sure the more we talk the more i, I just kind of randomly stuff will pop into my head no this is good man so i mean obviously this space like with that you're in is exciting and there's so much to be excited about which brings us back to one of the things we talked about in the beginning getting this next generation excited about it and having them find their path in it because i think for kids now, I mean, that are interested in that, it is a bit harder to find what you really want to do. I mean, it used to be so simple. Firefighter, take a hose, you put out fires. You want to be a policeman, you go carry a baton, go hit a bad guy in the head with it. But now, like, the space of STEM, like, it's it, it, it deserves a bit more attention and exploration for adolescents. So how do you recommend parents help their kids on that journey? Or even if you're just a kid, what should you do? Yeah. So I think kids, well, for one, let's start with the parents. Like I think with parents, sometimes if you have access to a little bit of spare income, you can enroll your kid in like a coding program or things like that. But a lot of parents don't. 
And so what's now possible is a lot of these platforms that used to have to go in person for are available online. There's things like Code Academy or MIT Scratch, if your kid's a little younger, where they've gamified this coding experience and they've allowed students to learn how to do these things for free, at least to you know a certain level. And then there's usually premium or paid options on some of these platforms. But if you're a kid, I say, yo, there's so much opportunity out there that you've never had to actually learn things for free on the internet. Information is literally everywhere. The problem is inspiration is not everywhere. And so not every kid is exposed to what they need to be searching for. But I do remember I did this exercise with some middle school kids once. We learned how to build a nuclear reactor by watching a how-to video on YouTube. <laughs> it's like you can literally find a how-to video for almost anything on YouTube. A nuclear reactor? Yeah, well, we learned by watching. We didn't actually build it, but we learned how to do it. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like there's literally a how-to video for anything. And that's something that I know Gen Z, they can appreciate in certain instances, right? If they want to learn how to tie a tie or do a cool handshake, but it literally gets so niche that you don't have to wait anymore. It's just disrupting education itself. When we think of things like the necessity of college degrees for the future workforce, It's more important and even more impactful for some of these tech companies now, too, instead of having a degree at some reputable institution to have a portfolio, like a strong body of work that showcases, hey, I do this. I'm the man and here's my my track record of the work I can do. It's that skills based like future, I think. Right. It's skills. It's it's skills more so than like what college you went to. Right. It's a gig that's, economy. That's where, that's where we're headed. Gig economy. Yeah. Exactly. And there's platforms like Fiverr that have taken advantage of that as well, where you can basically put your service up on the internet, build a bunch of traction, get a bunch of reviews, just like you're like a restaurant or like on Yelp, and you can monetize your service. I built a voiceover business during COVID using that. So there, there's all kind of cool applications of this future gig economy. And I tell kids, I'm like, yo, how many of y'all like making money? That's usually how I start <laughs> conversation. And some of the kids don't care about money. And that's inspiring. But I know a lot of other kids are like, I know when I was a kid, I'm like, how do I help my mom? I'm not necessarily like obsessed with making money. I want to help my mom. And I know I need money to do that. So yes, I, I, I want to learn how to make money. And I said, well, STEM careers are the highest paying jobs in the country on average. Um, you have you know, my attention, sir. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, how hard do you think? So then I, the next thing I ask is like, okay, how many of y'all are basketball players? And usually there's a sizable group if I'm mm-hmm. you know, talking to some kids in the Bronx, like I used to in it. And I'm like, okay, how likely do you think it is to get into the NBA? And so, yeah. And, and Lee, you kind of brought this up a little earlier. It's three in 10,000 high school varsity seniors. Wow. And so those are tough odds, right? It doesn't mean that it's impossible. I never try to discourage a kid from pursuing their dreams. But what I tell them is like, you got a 50-50 shot of making $100,000 a year, two or three years out of your you know, program, if you get in STEM. 50-50. It's a 50-50% chance. So I like I those odds a little better. Like those odds. So those are some of the things to just to, to think about. For parents, it's always better if you can enroll your kids in one of these like enrichment programs or after school. There's All-Star Code, Girls Who Code, Black Girls Code. I mean, some of them are more broadly focused on STEM. There's like rocket programs or biology after school programs. I would literally, if I was a parent, I would Google after school STEM programs, high school kid or after school STEM programs, middle school kid. And, and there's usually something local that, that can meet your needs. Awesome. So let's go fast forward to like the kids that are in college. We actually have a lot of listeners that are getting out of college, might be out of college for you know five years or so. And they're still trying to figure out how they can be competitive in this field, right? Obviously you got all these smart people. It's probably very competitive. How do you stand out? How do you, like, if you're going in to that 
that first interview, second interview, third interview, what are you doing to make yourself a more attractive candidate in this field? Right. So a couple of things. One of the things I think of is that STEM, generally speaking, with the exception of science, right, because it's super academic, you pretty much have to go to get a PhD to operate at a high level in most science laboratories and fields. But technology, engineering and math, a lot of times it was called a meritocracy. Literally, people want to see your body of work and they judge your worth based on your work. And so if you're a high school kid today and you want to get a job in three years or four years, and maybe you don't even want to go to college, like you can start building your body of work now. And so I always say to kids, personal brands are the new job security, right? So I'm a kind of a middle ground between Gen Z and millennial, right? And so when I was coming out of school, they always said, man, millennials are super entitled. They don't work for anything. All this stuff about, as they said, we had commitment issues to jobs. <laughs> I certainly did. Like I, I worked in my job, my tech job for, for a year. And then I left and I haven't worked in one job for any longer than that since then. I've just been on one-off projects sustaining myself. And the reason I'm able to do that is because I've branded myself as Mr. Fascinate, as the STEM guy, as the science guy. So literally there are tens of thousands of people that with their, they're looking for a STEM guy, they can find me. Now I'm not the exception. I'm the rule. Anytime that you're an employer or an employee looking for a job or a person to hire, you're going to Google search them, right? You're going to look up what the job is like. You're going to look up what the person's like. And because of that, you got to start thinking about how you appear on Google search, your search engine optimization or search engine accessibility. If you start thinking about how you can get an article about yourself or get waves about yourself online, that'll just give you a couple more inches ahead of that other person. Um, that might even get you the interview that the other person who's equally yeah. qualified couldn't get because when they Googled you, they didn't see you holding a beer bottle sitting there by a car. <laughs> so th those are important things that unfortunately kids have to think about today. I kind of can't, like I was growing up right before that. So I got to act a little crazy, but uh, kids today, <laughs> they don't get that opportunity. That's right. That's right. Not in the same way. They got to take the phones away. I mean, there's like what? IG, Twitter, Facebook. There's so and that all a recruiter has to do is type your name in. Yeah. And there's literally no privacy, man. Like when we threw parties, man, as college kids listening to this, when we threw parties, we used to take everybody's phones away at the door. We called it no phone. We called it a no phone zone. And so we have a little plastic bin. We take everybody's phones. We have you put your name on the back of it. We take your phone and what happens in the party stays in the party. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the that's only smart. way. That's smart. <laughs> Lee, did we have phones in high school? We yeah. have pagers, right? No, we have phone. I had a phone my senior year. We had Snake and the Nokia. Yeah, yeah, we just had like Nokia and the snake. It was a good thing. I actually loved Nokia with the snake. I still remember that. That, that was a fond memory for me too. So uh, I, was, was I think game. it wasn't solid it was game. Great game. Great. That never gets old. <laughs> so, hey, just tell us about like your TV, like the TV work you're doing. I find that fascinating. Seems like you're killing it. Like, what are you doing right now? Yeah, man. So I got in TV only a couple years ago. So I started off, like I said, I was doing a lot of speaking to young kids and, and educators and corporate groups. Uh, all over the world. And so I ended up kind of building a pretty solid track record of and getting a lot of videos of me just kind of explaining concepts. You know? And so I was able to turn that into like a reel. And a couple of years ago, like I said, that y'all saw that Forbes feature kind of put me on the map for a lot of other TV stuff. And so I've been able to work with Al Roker. I've been able to work with ABC. They had a series on Hulu called Soul of a Nation that I was in uh, talking about STEM. I was, I've been able to work with a travel channel and then I have some major networks. I can't really talk about them on on here yet but we're talking about the idea of an urban science show so 
most nature shows that you think of, they, they focus on nature, right? Like they're Animal Planet, Science Channel, Discovery. There's so many kids in cities growing up like myself that we don't really see how science and engineering and tech is applicable in our own backyards. And so this show is going to kind of touch on some of those concepts. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a- Sign really, me up for that, man. Yeah, no, thank show. you, man. It's a really interesting thing because I'm someone who's interested in information for the sake of information. But in order for me to convert my interest into making the broader public interest, I have to use new tactics. Like I was saying, glamorization, storytelling. And so all these things are super important in the context of creating compelling edutainment because people won't watch it if it's not entertaining. They will now. It doesn't matter. The, ma- the vast majority of the population. Nerds like me, I'll come and I'll sit for two hours. And I'll, I, I was telling my cousin about this experience yesterday. Like I'll go to a kickback, someone turn on a great documentary and I'd be glued to the screen. And then it's like 12 at night and I look around and everyone's knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, I, like that's kind of me, but I realized in order to keep everybody's attention, you have to be emphatic. You have to be charismatic. You have to be entertaining and yeah. you have to tell a story. And so these are all the things that I've had to unlearn and now learn as a result of doing the TV stuff. And it's kind of improved my communication a bit. Yeah. Talking about stories, like you have a a STEM book for kids also, right? Yeah. So it's in the works. Yeah. So I'm uh, in the process of collaborating with a publisher to, uh, so we're thinking about making it either a children's book or even a middle school book. And I think that's kind of been my niche. A lot of the things I created a cartoon series called Hood Science a couple of years ago. It's like an animated series for middle and high school kids. So right around that point when a kid was like, ah, these science shows are kind of corny. I'm a little too cool for this. I want to make like cool stuff that fits in that pocket that can engage that group of kids. And obviously that should also work for the college age kids and young adults as well. So when you're all like done with this, like what do you define as like your legacy? By doing all this, I mean, you're leaving a footprint, you're touching probably at this point, maybe close to a million kids, what I'm, I'm guessing, through all your, all the shows you've done, all the appearances you've done. Yeah. Like, what sort yeah. of legacy are you trying to leave? I just want everyone to feel like they can do this stuff. I don't want people to think that it's just for like the super analytical nerdy people to be in STEM. Like STEM fields, given the job openings that are available and how much money is in the field, we need kids today to recognize like, yo, if I'm a creative person, if I'm a great leader, if I'm a good podcaster, if I can ask great questions in an interview, like there's a lane for me in STEM, right? There's careers like sound engineers, right? These are like folks like Metro Boomin. He's a really hot producer among the kids. He's making millions of dollars doing STEM. There's a chemist at L'Oreal that makes hair products and she designs these things and and she's making half a million dollars doing that, right? There are all these cool, unique careers that don't necessarily require purely analytical skills. You need to, you can have to be a leader, a creative person, a dancer. There's wearable tech, right? Like you, you have to understand fashion to do things like that. All these things are required in STEM, and every kid should feel like they're at least worthy of pursuing the field. I certainly did it when I was younger, and I think that's what you know makes my testimony relatable to a lot of young people. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So if people want to find out more about what you're doing, how can they reach out to you, learn more about your shows? Yeah, so you can find me at Mr. Fascinate. Also on Google, I remember I talked to all about SEO, search engine. Literally, and y'all should be able to do this here. You should be able to type Justin Stem in Google. My first name, Justin and Stem, S-T-E-M. And I should be like the first couple pages of that. Oh, dang. You so got you should be able to find anything. You got you that SEO game down? He's got SEO it locked. <laughs> 
<laughs> His SEO game is tight. <laughs> yeah. That's so impressive. yeah, Google Justin STEM and you can pretty much find all the other stuff you might need to. Awesome, man. Dude, thank you so much for coming on our show today, man. You were a fantastic interview. I love what you're doing, man. You really are like changing the world and getting a lot of bright young minds, not only interested, but kind of gearing the trajectory of their life. I mean, that's super important. So I appreciate it's it. It's an honor to have you on, man. Thank honor you for coming on. on. Yeah. Thank fun. you for the fantastic interview. You guys should like do a podcast or something. Like, you guys Someday. Great interview. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> we try. We try. We try. Tell it. Tell it. Tell it. We'll do, it. man. We'll do. You guys got some good stuff out of me. Thanks, man. You've been listening to the Fruit Sabri Show. So long for now. Offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The free retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of LinkedIn Incorporated or Microsoft Corporation. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.